Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Welcome back to Behind the Bastards, the only podcast with more worms than the average bottle of milk in a century ago. (laughs) Tons of worms filled with them. I love um, your new tagline. It's great. Thank you. Thank People you. People love it. it it's, it's but we're going to move on from discussing horrible old-timey foods before there were any kind of laws about what you could do with foods. But right, I just right, came right. across an article in The Guardian. Uh you know, there's that truck convoy trying to do a January 6th in Canada. Oh, um, I know all about it. Next week, yeah. There's an article in The Guardian called Canada Truckers Vaccine Protests Spirals into Calls to Repeal All Public Health Rules. <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite, res- my favorite response on Twitter is someone has posted a picture of a sign outside of a swimming pool that says, persons currently having active diarrhea or who have had active diarrhea within the previous 14 days shall not be allowed to enter the pool water. And he's just responded... He's just posted that and said in all caps, Oh, captain, my captain. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This concludes the part of the episode where I read to you from Twitter. Mm. Matt, you you got a podcast called pod yourself a gun, pod yourself a gun. The world's only Sopranos podcast. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, this is uh, what separates us from any other TV rewatch podcast is, uh, mm-hmm. I do a parody song every week that does the synopsis of the episode. Is it good? Kinda. Do people like it? Oh no. Do I do it? <laughs> yes. Consistently. Uh, so, what know, a, what a plug. Everyone loves that. Yeah. Hot damn. Hot well, damn. Matt, mm. now, now that we have really 
we've laid the groundwork here. It is time to move on to the true bastard of our episode, the FDA. Uh, we've had its, its, its Anakin Skywalker phase here, and now we're about, it's about to go full Vader, right? Oh, fuck. That's, that's today's story. They put um, the poison back in the food. Yeah, actually. Yes, that, that, that is part of what's happening in this period. Um, of course, oh. it's much bigger than that. We're actually going to fo- mm. focus a bit more on the pharmaceutical industry today. There's a lot to say about food, though. So, oh, yeah. we ended last episode episode with the creation of the FDA in 1938 after uh, eight years after the death of Harley Wiley he Harvey Wiley he dies in um, in 1930 uh, and the FDA was initially taxpayer funded right again so all of its money at first comes from the American people because its job is to be a watchdog for the American people and to make at sure they're eating first, healthy food that's changed Oh, yes. That's a big part of our story today, Matt. Wow. So at first, it is taxpayer funded. And as a taxpayer funded organization, it experiences a titanic success very early on. One we've actually discussed previously on the show. In the late 1950s, the Grunenthal Corporation of Germany, which was a pharmaceutical concern staffed mainly by Nazis, tried to get approval to sell their blockbuster new sleeping pill, thalidomide, which may have initially been tested on concentration camp inmates in the United States. Now, the fir- the person, and it was like some other company that was trying to sell the product for Grudenthal that was buying it and wanted to sell it in the U.S., whatever, like, you know, mm-hmm. how corporations work. Oh, yeah. uh, but this company that wants to sell thalidomide in the U.S. as a sleeping pill uh, has to go to the FDA to get approval, right? And the person they come before is Francis Oldham Kelsey. Now, Francis Kelsey had earned a Ph.D. the same year the FDA was founded, and she had been hired in 1960 after six years of teaching pharmacology at the University of South Dakota. Um, So her job, she's one of the people who's supposed to evaluate new medicines and substances and decide whether or not they get FDA approval. One of her very first assignments for the FDA was thalidomide, and her job Mm. is essentially to review the evidence of drug safety provided by the manufacturer, because that's what that 1938 law and the 1906 law had gradually established that if you want to sell a medicine, you have to prove it works and that it right. doesn't kill people, or at least it yeah. doesn't kill too many people, right? Right. Yeah. Any kind of medicine, side studies. effects and shit. Yeah. You have yeah. to show, you have to prove it'll like be worth it, you know? Right. Um, so it's her job to review all of that evidence. Now, thalidomide is at this point in use in like 46 nations around the world, including most of Europe. But Dr. Kelsey thought their data was shit. She actually looks at the evidence they have that this stuff is safe. And she's like, because one of the big things they're selling this as is it's like, this is finally a safe sleeping pill for pregnant women, right? And uh. they, they're, they're saying that based on nothing. And in fact, a lot of the data they have suggests that like, no, it's actually like, it's fine for women who are nursing. They do show that, that like, it's probably okay for women who are nursing to have it. But there's it, there's evidence that it's really bad for pregnant women. Um, yeah. And there's Not really no evidence it for its safety. Try it out in Nazi concentration camps. Well, you know? that is debatable. We talk oh, about this debatable? in the episode. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that it's not ironclad. So I don't want to be like saying well, it's... But there is some evidence that... Because they were, they were Nazi doctors who worked in concentration camps are the people who are doing all of the medical testing for Grunenthal. Sure. And there's yeah. evidence that they just like took this drug they'd been testing in camps and like tried to launder it. Listen. I, Robert, I'm not about nuance. We're going to call it anti-Semitic Ambien mm-hmm. and move on Anti-Semitic Ambien, that's right. So anti-Semitic Ambien is in use all over the world. Um, but Francis Kelsey is like, I don't give a shit about what the rest of the world says. This data doesn't convince me, and it's my job to say whether or not this shit is safe. So I don't give you approval. Nice. Um, so she turns them down and then they try to pressure her boss uh, and her boss backs her to the hilt. Her boss is like, no, Francis is fucking great. 
scientist and she's right about this and we're not going to fucking sell thalidomide in the United States and thalidomide is never approved for use on a wide scale in the US there's a couple of like trials and stuff so a handful of Americans do take it um, but nothing like what happens in Europe where millions of people take thalidomide roughly one year after she turns down thalidomide scientists in Germany and Australia proved that thalidomide caused a whole host of debilitating birth defects babies were being born without lungs or with their arms coming directly out of their shoulders and like no actual like like forearms and shit you can find pictures if you want tens of thousands of children are disabled or hundreds of thousands of children are disabled tens of thousands are killed as a result of thalidomide um but none of those are in the u.s thanks to dr kelsey and the fda this is a huge success this is exactly what it's there for right yeah that's what it's built for this is a bulletproof vest stopping a bullet from entering your body this is like exactly why we have this thing and proof that it is worth every goddamn penny Mm -hmm. um and Americans at the time recognize that they have dodged a huge bullet. Uh, <laughs> the shit that happens with thalidomide inspires the passage of the 1962 drug amendments. This bill is why ads for new medicines always end with like 40 seconds of a dude talking very fast about the side effects right, you'll yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's where that yeah. starts like being yeah. mandatory, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and there's a bunch of other good stuff in it, including it forces a comprehensive reclassification of all available drugs based on whether or not they actually do anything. So there was all this medicine that was like grandfathered in when the FDA gets created and they're right. like, well actually, why the fuck are we doing that? We should make yeah. sure this stuff all works, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't we care if people have been taking it forever. We gotta yeah. test it. I understand that dark defeats the bright, but we got to test it. I'm not a big law fan, but the 1962 drug amendments are pretty comprehensively like a good, good, good call, you know? Yeah. Um, So the FDA, huge fucking hit at this point, right? Like that's, that's, I mean, that's worth all the money we'd spent on it forever if they just stopped thalidomide. And obviously there's other shit they're stopping. There's shit they're making safer. There's stuff that they're, you know, medications that they're limiting the scope of so that too many people don't take them. The FDA. FDA is doing fucking gangbusters in its mm. its first few decades in existence. Um, so that's dope as hell. And President Kennedy even gives the agency a shout out in 1962, shortly before being gunned down by Bernard Montgomery Sanders. And mm. it's worth noting that this massive early... <laughs> di- what? <laughs> I mean, okay, look, there is the theory that Orenthal James Simpson, who was a young mm-hmm. adult at this period of time, may have taken part in mm-hmm. the assassination of, of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. He was a very fast runner. Um, I believe fast. that he may have been providing the ammunition to Bernie Sanders. Um, there's no way to know that he wasn't, you know? That's why Prove him wrong, wrong, Internet. Prove, prove me wrong. Yeah. What are yeah. you going to do? Yeah. Show I'm me that Bernie Sanders and here. OJ and the juice didn't mm-hmm. collaborate together to assassinate John mm-hmm. Fitzgerald Kennedy. Prove it. I hope that we all did a head shake in unison when that happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's worth noting that this uh, (laughs) this this massive early dub for the FDA was due in part to the agency's independence in large part, really, like the fact that this this is there's no ties to anybody but the U.S. taxpayer. That is the only responsibility the FDA has. There's a shitload of money to be made in approving like thalidomide. Right. Like they could have like that, like that company would have made millions before they realized that it was harming babies at a scale almost inconceivable. But the. 
right. only the FDA doesn't give a shit about anybody's profits. All they care about is safety. And yeah. Dr. Kelsey looked at the data and was like, no, fuck this shit. Responsible only to the taxpayers. Yeah. Because that's what government is supposed to do. Well, that's not how the FDA works anymore. Um, and to explain why things changed, I'm going to read a quote by a write up from Michael White of the University of Connecticut School of Pharmacy. Quote. Mm. The first U.S. case of HIV-induced AIDS occurred in 1981. It was rapidly spreading, with devastating complications like blindness, dementia, severe respiratory diseases, and rare cancers. Well-known sports stars and celebrities died of AIDS-related complications. AIDS activists were incensed about long delays in getting experimental HIV drugs studied and approved by the FDA. In 1992, in response to intense pressure, Congress passed the Prescription Drug User Fee Act. It was signed into law by President George H.W. Bush. With the act, the FDA moved from a fully taxpayer-funded entity to one funded through tax dollars and new prescription drug user fees. Manufacturers pay these fees when submitting applications to the FDA for drug review and annual user fees based on the number of approved drugs they have on the market. Mm. Now, surface level, go back in time to 1992. Number one, this is in response to a real problem, right? The, right. The, and, and this we, we saw this with like COVID, right? Sometimes you can't afford to take as much time, right. you know, testing shit because there's a, a real immediate fucking plague. And, yeah. and you might just need to like throw some shit out there and maybe there will be some side effects yeah. like with the boosters and shit. I, you know, some people like there are some side effects and shit um, mm-hmm. that we probably would have caught and maybe even minimized if we had not been dealing with a global plague. Right. Like you got to fucking get shit out. You know, that's a reasonable problem. The way they one of the ways they deal with this is that like they make this partially funded by the pharmaceutical drug companies and Mm -hmm. they they allow ways for the FDA to expedite um, pharmaceutical drug approvals. And this is where all the problems start to come in. Right. Mm -hmm. But you have to note that it does kind of sound surface level reasonable to a lot of people. Yeah. And this is kind of the way a lot of the government works, really, right? You go to the DMV, you have to pay fees to apply for stuff, right? To get, like, register a car, get a license. Why wouldn't big pharmaceutical companies have to pay the FDA for drug review and other stuff, you know? You can yeah. make a case to most people on both sides of the political spectrum that this is a, a reasonable idea, right? Right. Um, and obviously, the reason why you don't do that for the FDA is because it might lead to a situation wherein those companies are all paying the FDA for the FDA to exist. And when the people funding your organization are the folks with a vested interest in you saying yes to their drugs, well, that can cause some problems. You are no longer the independent organization that stopped thalidomide from hitting the streets, you know? Yeah, um, it was, uh, that was a short-sighted move on that law. You know? Yeah. I, I got where they were coming from, but... Uh, yeah. Sounds bad. You get why people could be convinced that this was a good idea. Um, yeah, because it sounds like a tax. It sounds yeah. like, oh, no, all we're doing is like making, you know, you're, you're still going to get the money from the taxpayers, but you're also, we're going to tax these companies yeah. for even applying. And it's like, no, this no, is going to be bad. It is, it is tying the salaries of uh, the of of the people who work for the FDA to the pharmaceutical industry. You know, that's that's what it's doing. And that's not great. (laughs) You know, Um, so over the years, new fees were introduced for the approval of generic drugs, over the counter drugs, biosimilar drugs, animal medications, as well as medical devices. The FDA develops a complex system of waivers, refunds and exemptions dependent on the category of drug and the total number of drugs the manufacturer had approved. A labyrinthine expensive bureaucracy developed and the proceeds from this bureaucracy grew to account for 45 percent of the FDA's five. $5.9 billion budget. Oh, but wait, there's more. 
65% of the funding for human drug regulation comes directly from user fees submitted by pharmaceutical companies. Now, this has had some positive outcomes. Because their funding comes from these fees, the FDA has gotten a lot faster at responding to manufacturers about what they need in their applications. The whole process of getting new medicines approved has gotten a lot speedier. In 1987, it took 29 months to get FDA approval or denial. By 2014, it took 13 months. By 2018, it was down to 10 months. President Trump personally promised to streamline the process by which drugs were approved, and his administration seems to have delivered in this respect. Now, that can be good, as we've seen in the COVID response, that sometimes you need stuff approved Mm -hmm. very rapidly, but usually you don't. Yeah. One of the things that these changes have done is they've led to an increase from 38% to 61% in the number of first-time approvals on new drug applications. In diseases where there are few existing medications, an even more streamlined approval process means that 89% of applications get approved the first time, often in under eight months. This has all coincided with a huge surge in the number of dr- new drug applications, because you can get them said yes a lot quicker and get them out there and start making fucking money. Yeah. So that is impressive if you don't account for the fact that an awful lot of these new drugs getting expedited approvals are fucking horrible. And I'm going to quote from Michael White from the University of Connecticut here. While the number and speed of drug approvals have been increasing over time, so have the number of drugs that end up having serious safety issues coming to light after FDA approval. In one assessment, investigators looked at the number of newly approved medications that were subsequently removed from the market or had to include a new black box warning over 16 years from the year of approval. These black box warnings are the highest level of safety alert that the FDA can employ, warning users that a very serious adverse event could occur. Before the user fee was approved, 21% of medications were removed or had new black box warnings as compared to 27% afterwards. Now, that jump alone is not great, right? But it's also like, you know, 6%. That's not the worst thing in the world but when you really dig into the data it's it sounds a lot worse than that actually matt um it it does it does and i'm going to quote now from a write-up i found by cnn about a third of the drugs the fda approved between 2001 and 2010 were involved in some kind of safety event after reaching the market according to a study published in tuesday in the journal of the american medical association the authors found that in that time 222 novel therapeutics were approved and there were 123 post-market safety events involving 71 products that required fda action manufacturers needed to add 61 boxed warnings also commonly called a black box warning to call attention to serious risks in 59 cases some communication had to to warn the users about a product's safety. Three therapeutics were withdrawn from the market. Now, remember how I said that the FDA expedites approval requests for drugs yeah. to treat illnesses where there aren't a lot of existing treatments? That's good, again, if there's like a plague or something that you need to get out quick. But mm-hmm. it also means there's an extra financial incentive for a pharmaceutical corporation to get a medicine approved to treat an illness that doesn't have a lot of medicines for it. Right. This includes... All of the mental illnesses, right? Mm, yeah. Real yeah, yeah, shortage yeah, yeah. of medicines, because maybe in a lot of cases, medicines don't help that much with a lot of right. stuff as we're finding. <laughs> not not to be against medications, a lot of great medications out there, but there's a lot of fucking problems with mental health medications, and it's very fucking easy to get an approval for a mental health medication. Um oh. And that I mean, AMA, I mean, for yeah. a while, mental health medication was just doing electricity on your brain. So, yeah. you know, at this point, if it's in pill form, people are like, yeah, prove it. <laughs> you know what? Stop the you would think that it wasn't worse now, but, <laughs> but in some ways it is. <laughs> oh. Um 
So that AMA Journal report noted that drugs used for mental illness had a higher number of events, um, like negative health and safety events. And most of these drugs and most accelerated drugs are approved on trials with fewer than a thousand patients because the bar is lower. They don't need to show that it works on many people. If you can jig a trial with a hundred people, with a thousand people and show that it works or like 500 people or whatnot, you can fucking get approval. And, um, and expedited as well. Yeah. Is, yeah. You can get it done really quickly. And there's a good book. We're not going to get into it much because I'm kind of focusing on the FDA. There's a whole book written about all of the different ways in which the, um, the the medical testing industry, like the industry that is designed to determine whether or not drugs work, is mm-hmm. heavily compromised because most of those studies are funded by the pharmaceutical companies. There's all sorts of ways they fuck with the data. Uh, a lot of those scientists wind up getting like cushy jobs afterwards and stuff with these companies. There's all sorts of ways. Like that's a big part of how a lot of very like negative like that's how they that's how a lot of like negative aspects of like different foods like sodas mm-hmm. and shit get hidden for so long because you you can kind of have a study of 500 people that you control and you can make it kind of say whatever you want. Right. Uh, the book is called Unsavory Truth, How Food Companies Skew the Science of What We Eat, and it includes a lot of detail on the pharmaceutical industry, too. It's by a woman named Marion Nestle, no relation to the candy people. Um, <laughs> again, we're not really going to get into that, uh, but yeah, I, I should, you know, I, I should read one quote from this about uh, the way in which industry funded research favors the sponsor's commercial interests. Uh, so I'm going to read a quote from that book here. Sheldon Krimsky, a Tufts University professor who studies industry manipulation of science, dates the discovery of this funding effect to the mid 1980s when social scientists realized that if they knew who paid for a study, they could predict its results. One funding effect investigation from the late 1990s looked at studies on the safety of calcium channel blockers for reducing blood pressure. Nearly all authors, 96%, who concluded that the drugs were effective, reported financial ties to their manufacturers. Only 37% of authors who doubted the effectiveness had such ties. In 2003, a systemic review of more than 1,000 biomedical research studies came to a similar conclusion. Investigators with industry affiliations were nearly four times more likely to come up with pro-industry conclusions than those without such ties. See, this is why we don't trust doctors uh, if you want to know why there's yeah, so many there's like, a reason people are so distrustful about like the vaccines yeah. in the medical industry like they should be distrustful just not yeah. in this specific case really <laughs> yeah i mean it just it sucks because it's like every mm-hmm. time i hear an anti-vaxxer talk i'm always like there's part of me yeah that understands exactly where you're coming from minus the part where you're completely yeah. ig- ignoring all subsequent data as to the efficacy of these like vaccines but it's like i get it because like yeah nine out of ten doctors think that this drug is good yeah. also nine out of ten doctors are paid for by the company that makes this drug it's just uh fuck yeah maybe a better solution would be to tax all of the billionaires until they're not billionaires to yeah. dissolve all pharmaceutical corporations and to take all of their patents and property and money and put it in a trust run uh or administered by you know an agency made up of mm-hmm. scientists who are purely paid and supported by the taxpayer whose job is to make pharmaceutical pharmaceutical stuff happen uh maybe that's a really good did you just come up with that just off the top of your head i did i I, i've actually invented a whole system um it's called marxist uh uh uh, robertism yeah that's 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 very heavily based on on what's what i what i another word i invented socialism yeah oh Um, socialism yeah i'm the first person to figure this out i have a lot of great ideas that's a great Um, idea dude we're gonna freeze a lot of seeds to see if it makes them cold tolerant a lot of 
cool stuff. Yeah, going yeah, on. yeah. Try mm-hmm. that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. try that Dude, out. You're <laughs> you're full of good ideas, bro. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, one area where all of this shit, uh, the, this, uh, uh <laughs> these horrific, but so, and again, it's like one of those, the basic idea by which this problem started is like reasonable. Well, these companies should have to prove their medicine works. They should be conducting mm-hmm. studies to show that this stuff is safe and that it does what it says it does. Right. A very reasonable thing to propose in like 1906, 1938, when it is like pushed, but you see the obvious problem, which is that, yeah, well, yeah. they're not going to fund a study because they care so much because their primary yeah. interest is profit. Their primary interest is not helping people. A lot of the doctors and stuff, their interest is helping people. And like one of the things that I will say, a lot of those people who those scientists whose results are heavily skewed by the fact that they're being paid by pharmaceutical companies, it's not because they're like evil or even know what they're doing. Right. It just happens. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's like why I don't talk about the fact that has an island where they allow you to hunt children for sport very often you know because <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. i'm swimming in those bucks yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah yeah you're just filled with salisbury steaks that you're mm-hmm. gonna cook fresh tonight do they salisbury do steaks sal- made from the children hunted on their private <laughs> island you know it's good stuff you taste mm. the fear you know <laughs> yeah so one area where this whole problem may have had a major impact both the fact that they're conduct the industry is conducting these studies um and that this approval process it's a lot easier to get mental health medication approved is in the treatment of schizophrenia in mm. recent years the world health organization has released two studies which find that long-term outcomes for schizophrenia patients in three developing countries this is the term that they use i don't prefer that term but i'm, I'm reading mm. from a study they did so schiz- long-term outcomes for schizophrenia patients in three developing countries uh, were actually better than in the united states and five other developed countries mm. now why how can this be well it's not entirely known but one probably the leading theory is that the countries with better outcomes for treating schizophrenia only use antipsychotic meds acutely not chronically Mm. so they give people they're not like rejecting this medication but they use it when someone is having an issue when they're having a a psychotic break or something as needed versus a uh, prn not daily you know yeah yeah um only 16% of patients in those countries were on regular maintenance doses of antipsychotics as opposed to basically everybody with schizophrenia in the United States, right? Mm. That is the standard of care um, for most people who, who are dealing with that here. Uh, and we have worse outcomes than these countries with a lot less money to spend on their medical system. And that maybe why a subsequent harvard study found that schizophrenia outcomes for patients in the united states have declined over the last 20 years and at present they are no better than they were in the 1920s oh fuck like well, the electrocution days right like yeah, we've, yeah. we've gone back we had gotten a lot better for a while but we we've gone back um journalist robert whitaker has investigated the subject heavily and he puts blame on a shamefully lax testing process for medication for schizophrenia the result of all of the systems we've just discussed Quote, when you look at the short-term studies of antidepressants and antipsychotics, the evidence of efficacy in reducing symptoms compared to placebo is really pretty marginal and fails to rise to the level of a clinically meaningful benefit. Furthermore, the problem with all of this research is that there is no real placebo group in the studies. The placebo group is composed of patients who have been withdrawn from their psychiatric medications and then randomized to placebo. Thus, the placebo group is a drug withdrawal group, and we know Uh that withdrawal from psychotic drugs can stir myriad 
myriad negative effects. A medication-naive placebo group would have a much better outcome. In short, the research on the short-term effects of psychiatric drugs is a scientific mess. In fact, a 2017 paper that was designed to defend the long-term use of antipsychotics nevertheless acknowledged in an offhand way that, quote, no placebo-controlled trials have been reported in first-episode psychosis patients. Antipsychotics were introduced 65 years ago, and we still don't have good evidence that they work over the short-term in first-episode patients. Still? We yeah, still don't. It's, it's 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 a very un, like you dig into it and it's very messy. I should note there are researchers and scientists who criticize Whitaker's work here. One of the reasons I tend to trust him. Uh, number one, there's other experts that back him. Uh, mm. Number two, when he's interviewed by I found this in a Scientific American article, he link, lists lengthily all of the different criticisms of his work and he links to responses he's made to all of them. And he points mm. out the ones I think these have some these guys have some points. I think these guys are facile. You know, I, yeah. I uh, so one of the reasons that I, I tend to think he's probably on to something um yeah because he actually addresses the criticism and has rebuttals yeah, to it yeah yeah he, he's he's taking it seriously as a as scientist as opposed to like going right. for you know the the thing um and his arguments feel extra credible to me because the same sorts of problems that he outlies are endemic when you look at other major failures of the fda so it's mm. not just with, with the, the, these medications he's criticizing it happens all over the goddamn time um and a strong argument could be made that if thalidomide came before the fda approval board today, it probably would have wound up in pharmacies across the country because there were no sleeping medications that were safe for pregnant women. And if thalidomide is able to get like a thousand person study that kind of sort of shows that, then yeah, then suddenly, boom, we got a lot of thalidomide up in here, you know, put in the water study. And, uh, oh no, those babies whose like arms are on their legs and legs on their arms. That's actually just, that's like part of it. They, they like to, they like that. Everybody likes that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It it helps them. Fucking wrists are just holding you back. Yeah, exactly. It's it, trust me, dude. He's into it. We're all yeah. we're Mister Potato heading all. They these don't need elbows. What you would get cucked by an elbow? No, yeah. thank you. Yeah, only straight onto the shoulder blade with the hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, we've got machines for them to breathe through. It's fine. Exactly. Yeah. So this all brings me to the very sad story of Vioxx. Near the end of the 1990s, Merck went to the FDA to get approval for Vioxx, a painkiller meant for patients with arthritis. They believed it was superior to older painkillers because it had fewer gastrointestinal side effects. So they're arguing like this is a safer painkiller for people with arthritis. Yeah. To support their case, they presented the FDA with eight studies, which had a grand total of 5,400 total subjects. So that is... Well under an average of a thousand subjects per study, right? Oh, That's yeah. not a lot of people to yeah. prove that you're for, for, for number one, arthritis is very common, right? Yeah. A ton of people need medication for arthritis. That's not a shitload of subjects to prove that a medication is safe. Right. It really is not. In November of 1998, they asked the FDA for approval. They seem to have realized their case that it was safer rested on pretty thin ground. So as they're going for approval, they launched the Vioxx Gastrointestinal Outcomes Research Study or VIGOR. This study would have more than 8,000 participants. So that's good. That's almost twice as many participants as they've had in total in all the other studies. Mm -hmm. Now we're starting to get, you know. That, that that could establish a, a broader yeah. base that to, to show that this is now safe. Now we're doing some science here. So, but this is after they start this big study after they've approved uh, or after they have filed for approval with the FDA. And before the Vigor study is finished, the FDA approves Vioxx in May of 1999 off the strength <laughs> of those small studies and nothing else. Fuck it, Vig- roll the dice. Fucking roll the dice. What Let's do you give a shit? Happens. They got arthritis. <laughs> They're old. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Vigor doesn't report its first results 
results from the study until October of 1999, and they were promising. Vioxx patients seemed to have fewer ulcers and less bleeding than patients taking naproxen, which was the the kind of standard previously. But then in November of 1999, things started to turn. And I'm going to quote from NPR here. At the second meeting of the Vigor Safety Panel, the discussion focuses on heart problems. As of November 1st, 1999, 79 patients out of 4,000 taking Vioxx have had serious heart problems or have died, compared with 41 taking naproxen. The minutes of the panel's me- November meeting note that, while the trends are disconcerting, the numbers of events are small. The panel votes to continue the study and to meet again in a month. And this would have been fine if the medicine hadn't already been out, right? right. If you're just doing this research, sure, this is what happens, right? Yeah, if yeah, you're yeah. studying me- some number of people that you test medication, on are, are gonna die it's going to yeah, happen this is, what, this is what you sign uh, up for you can't get medication and not have that happen from time mm-hmm. to time in a ideal world you would not start selling it in mass until you had concluded this yeah, research yeah, yeah, you yeah. know you finish you would finish the project and then yeah. decide whether or not the public can have it so in december of 1999 the safety panel has what will be its last meeting uh they're told that as of december 1st 1999 the risk of serious heart problems and death among Vioxx patients is twice as high as the naproxen <laughs> group so no it's not as safer it is twice as likely to kill your ass but your stomach feels better when you're dying mm-hmm. of a heart attack so yeah your stomach your, your tummy feels better as you yeah. as you fucking drop to the ground <laughs> now the research board monitoring this like safety board monitoring the study decides to continue on which is a con- questionable decision in of itself right continuing the study at this point is like yeah well but it kills twice as like maybe that's all we need to know about this uh, stuff bring in a thousand more guys let's just tr- let's just be sure let's run through some more of them come on <laughs> <laughs> so Ugh. they did tell Merck like this board is like you can keep doing this study um, but you should develop a plan to analyze the cardiovascular results of the study before the study ends right so mm-hmm. that you can actually determine really what the effect on people's hearts is as soon as the study's over because we're seeing some stuff that's concerning and Merck is like no we're not going to do that um, we're going to we're going to wait we're going to let a couple more studies get done wait another couple mm-hmm. of years and then we'll see if it's bad for people's hearts and yeah. the safety panel's like cool that sounds cool yeah. too okay well, I mean, <laughs> we wanted to do it now but it sounds fine to do it later or never yeah oh no i never looked at it like that before <laughs> yeah. but thank you yeah. for opening our eyes that will just not do the thing okay now, funnily enough matt the head of that safety panel was a guy named weinblatt who also served on an advisory board for merck owned seventy two thousand dollars in merck stock and worked as a paid <laughs> consultant for merck so Hell yeah <laughs> he seems he seems unbiased dude, right no that's a legit guy that's a legit yeah, guy that's a legit a, dude <laughs> yeah. how would you like it if i read your resume every time you're advocating <laughs> for things that put money in your pocket huh yeah now the company pushed the can down the road and sold Vioxx for nearly two years in january of 2002 epidemiological studies started coming out that warned that Vioxx was giving people heart attacks and strokes in huge numbers <laughs> that's january Nothing gets done until September, when the weight of evidence is so high that Merck begins to withdraw their drug from the market, and it's still being sold until I think like 2004 to a lot of people. Jesus Christ. By the time they finally get it off the market, 20 million Americans have taken it. Now, the Lancet estimates that 38,000 people at least died from taking Vioxx. That's a a pretty good death toll. Yeah, Yeah, we call that being murked. That was the first. They got murked. murked. (laughs) Now, this estimate is likely optimistic. Dr. David Graham was a scientist at the FDA for more than 20 years when he started speaking out about Vioxx. And he's actually still working for the FDA when he begins doing interviews about how this happened. Here is a write-up on him from Fraud Magazine. Quote, 
Between 1999 and 2004, an estimated 20 million Americans took Vioxx, 80 million worldwide, said Graham, the recipient of the 2005 Cliff Robertson Sentinel Award at the recent 16th annual ACFE Fraud Conference and Exhibition. We've estimated that up to 140,000 patients who took Vioxx suffered heart attacks. Of this number, 60,000 died, said Graham. Um, Vioxx is a poster child for what's wrong with the FDA and why I believe FDA reform is so urgently needed. And if Dr. Graham's calculations are correct, if 60,000 people died from Vioxx, that's two. Vioxx killed more Americans than Vietnam. Fuck. (laughs) Like. (laughs) Holy shit. Right? I mean. And based on just like who tends to get arthritis, most likely, a number of the people it killed probably survived Vietnam, only get iced by Vioxx. (laughs) They got murked by Vioxx. Fuck me. They lived through a punji stick trap, but they they couldn't make it through the new FDA. Well, you lose to the Viet Cong and then you lose to Merck. That, yeah. is, that sucks. <laughs> Merck and the Viet Cong shaking hands with killing old, <laughs> killing Americans. Oh, fuck me, uh, man. So, it, yeah. Um, and Dr. Graham has since claimed that the FDA, not only did they, was it, were they lax in allowing this to happen, they actually took direct steps, he alleges, to stop scientists from speaking out against the drug before it could be approved. In November of last year, Graham testified before the Senate Finance Committee that the FDA had silenced him and his colleagues from reporting on the risks of Vioxx and other drugs. The FDA has let the American people down and sadly betrayed a public trust, Graham said during his testimony. He alleged that because the FDA is unduly influenced by the pharmacy industry, it is incapable of protecting America against another Vioxx. We are virtually defenseless. So that's good. (laughs) Yeah, that's nice to know. You know? Yeah. Yeah. it's good to know that they, uh, you know, they started off good, but um, this is yeah, uh, they've they've fallen into the lava at this point. You know, they're yeah, in the yeah. suit, they're mm-hmm. choking people to death, they're breathing um, hard through breathing a mask, hard. and they're yeah. like <laughs> FDA. More yeah, like. there's fingerprints all over their helmet if you if you watch the high res <laughs> versions of the original movies because they yeah. they didn't expect TVs would ever get that good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's supposed to be blurry. <laughs> so. This is a claim that the America is defenseless because the FDA is fundamentally compromised by the the pharmaceutical industry. This is a claim that does deserve further focus. Mm. To do that, we're going to have to turn back to the story of a drug you might be a fan of. I certainly am a fan of. Our old buddy, Oxycodone. Hell yeah! Now, I I love me some opiates, right? Me too. We we have to acknowledge they're a problem for the country. Um, Oh, they're a problem for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I had had to stop. I can no longer party. That is a problem for me that I had to... to, mm, Couldn't continue that after I left Central America. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. It was pretty fun just being able to pick up a bottle of liquor and a box of codone, like, on oh. the same trip that I got my tortillas. God, I miss... Uh, oh, man. Those were the days, man. Antigua, I, I, baby. <laughs> I, you know, I for years as an addict, I would dream of going to a place where I could just get over-the-counter, like, morphine and whatnot, and... I mean... I do think that is how it should work. Uh, and I think it would I think be so too. not really a problem if you were not getting millions of people hooked on opiates, telling them that it's going to manage their pain when in reality oh, yeah. it makes the pain much worse and like oh, makes the problems yeah. long-term much worse. No, Oxy, Oxycontin <laughs> is one of the most evil things in the world. 
yeah be- because of the fact that it uh it sucks like mm-hmm. it's not it's not good it's it, it's not like morphine which has like no. a great oh, rush dilated oh into God. some liquid morphine oh dilated now yeah. i mean fucking now these Speaking drugs my language these actually you know feel good they will destroy your life by the yeah, way well, sure of course they will but destroy like, your you life. know lots of um, things will but what's what's even more evil about oxycontin is that like this the, they got people hooked on an opiate that sucks yeah and, and i think people died. better than content but like yeah that, now we're, we're getting into the weeds of which ones are good and which ones are bad um all of them are better than fucking codeine which is trash oh, oh, oh yeah the worst and you cannot iv uh, you can't shoot up codeine. Just let, let no, you guys know that. Don't, don't even try You go it. through anaphylaxis. I learned that yeah. the hard way. I was blind <laughs> for uh, 60 seconds. Mm. Anyways. That's the good stuff. I'm glad you brought me on for this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, we're both fans. But mm-hmm. uh, the, the opiate crisis is obviously a massive titanic tragedy that has caused um, maybe more damage than almost anything else uh, mm-hmm. to particularly middle America. Um, mm-hmm. And we've got, we did a two-parter on Purdue Pharmaceutical um, and the SAC family who profited off of this primarily but now it's time to talk about the fda's complicity but before we do that matt you know who else is complicit and you having a good time oh is it the sponsors and products mm-hmm. that's right the all conspiring to make you happy oh hell yeah and and to push oxycodone fuck you know yeah <laughs> for sure all right The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Focus Features presents Back to Black. Oh. 
Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Uh, we're back. Back, baby. Back, yeah. back again. Back, Goddamn back, right back. we are. I just want to point out I am 12 years sober for anyone out there. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone out there who was just like, I, I, oh, maybe like, I should try that Dilaudid stuff. It, it, it has been, I always had a rule. I would always take it to an, a, an, an honestly problematic degree when I was mm. in places outside of the country where I could get it. I've always mm. had a rule where I, I do not ever purchase it in the United States. Never have, Smart. never will. Every now and then, maybe theoretically, a friend has surgery and winds up with mm-hmm. some extra pills and stuff. But like, yeah. I... I it's I've seen it's it's too it's actually like pretty fucking horrible. Yeah, I don't have that ability. You're like yeah. a fucking superhero to me to be. <laughs> I can't. I got addicted to hookah after I got clean. Straight yeah. up. I, I just, I, yeah. I, I, I got addicted to stuff. I can't I, help it. I know that if I were to let myself let it be anything but like a vacation thing, I would immediately have a problem and it would destroy my life. Right, um, right, 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 right. Yeah, because I have had problems with other substances before to the mm. point where I'm like, I, I can see you in the rear view mirror yeah, running yeah, at yeah, me, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That um, addict always doing push-ups in the brain, ready to yep. fuck your party up. Yep, that is how it works. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the FDA's complicity in the opiate epidemic. Mm-hmm. In 2019, a state court in Oklahoma tied, quote, false, misleading, and dangerous marketing campaigns by drug manufacturers to, quote, exponentially increasing rates of addiction, overdose deaths, and babies born exposed to opioids. This is yet another damning black mark on an industry whose executives should all be flung into the sun via catapult. But as this write-up from the Journal of Ethics of the American Medical Association argues, quote, The fact that opioid manufacturers disseminated false claims regarding the risks and benefits of opioids for the past 25 years points to a dereliction of duty by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the federal Mm. agency charged with regulating pharmaceutical companies. The FDA's regulatory failures with respect to opioids have not gone unnoticed. In 2017, the President's Commission on Combating Drug Addiction and the Opioid Crisis found that the opioid crisis was caused in part by inadequate oversight by the Food and Drug Administration, and the National Academy of Sciences publicly called on the FDA to 
to overhaul its opioid policies. Last year, a former FDA commissioner rebuked the agency he had previously led, saying on the television program 60 Minutes that the FDA was wrong to allow the promotion of opioid use for chronic pain. <laughs> Maybe well, a little late on that one, buddy. Hey, you know, better late than never, right? You know, that's what not, I always... not in this case, really. <laughs> I, that, that's that's kind of like going drunk driving, killing six people, and then getting on the news and being like, you know what? Drunk mm-hmm. driving, people shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, it's bad. It's, <laughs> it's bad. bad. Did you know that? <laughs> no, it's like drunk driving and killing people, hundreds of thousands of people yes. for decades. And hundreds of thousands like... of people wiping out entire towns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then just going on TV and going, you know, it's bigger than just me. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, this is really a systemic problem. It's a systemic because problem. Because the roads I use are everywhere to drunk <laughs> yeah, exactly. drive through neighborhoods. Yeah. If you think about it, the taxpayer is just yeah. as culpable. In We're the death all of part others. of this, you know? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. You with the making roads, me mm-hmm. with the drunkenly driving through intersections mm-hmm. and hitting groups of children, killing uh-huh. up to the bus, you know? Everybody's a part of it. That Every- bus driver stopping for those kids is a part mm-hmm. of this, you know? No one's hands are clean here. No, nobody's hands. So let's stop playing the blame game, you know? Yeah, why, why do I always have to blame people every time I kill 600,000 Americans? <laughs> so you might expect all of this potent criticism from like, again, the president, pretty big names saying the mm-hmm. FDA has a problem with the way it approves opioids. You might yeah. expect that to lead to some changes. Mm. But FDA policies for approving and labeling opioids remain basically unmodified. As the Journal of Ethics write-up notes, the agency has refused to undertake a root cause analysis to determine what regulatory errors contributed to the opiate crisis. Instead, they've closed ranks and sought to defend themselves. When Senator Maggie Hassan criticized the agency, the FDA Drug Evaluation Director responded by claiming the agency had properly enforced the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act when it approved Purdue's new ox- extended-release oxycodone. In 1995. Mm. Now that's a lie, Matt. Oh, Not just yeah. because it turned out to be bad, but because they broke the law when they approved it. If they had yeah. followed the law, the pills would have been listed as having a narrow indication. Um, it's kind of what we talked about with schizophrenia meds. This should mm. be used in a few specific conditions acutely, totally. right? I yeah, only be prescribed in limited duration for specific issues. Instead, the drug received a broad indication, which allowed Purdue to be like, "Oh yeah, this is good for back pain. You got yeah, fibromyalgia." Right. Algae takes some of this shit. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you got a slight <laughs> headache? Yeah. Go ahead. Pull up, pull up your car. We'll fill your trunk. <laughs> we'll send gonna... it direct to your house, dude. Don't worry yeah, about don't it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Oh, it's it's so fucking evil because it's like you know, chronic pain is a thing. Opiates oh, yeah, sure. are incredibly useful for treating people with chronic pain, and there are people out there who do need it and and so it's like i'm not one of those people who's like opiates are all bad and whatnot no what's fucked up is to make it into something that you would take like you would give it out like it's fucking tylenol yeah like some people need it for chronic pain most kinds of long-term pain there's better ways to deal with it and like you don't actually solve the you can actually make it better if you go into like therapy and stuff and you aren't Mm -hmm. medicating it away which leads to it's yeah there's we talk about all this in the sackler episodes Mm. um so I'm going to quote from that AMA Journal of Ethics write-up again to talk about like how illegal it was for the FDA to give this broad approval. 
In 2002, faced with evidence that opioid prescribing had risen beyond levels that could be clinically warranted, the FDA convened an advisory committee meeting of 10 outside experts and asked if the broad indication on opioid labels should be narrowed to prohibit marketing for common chronic pain conditions. Eight of these experts had financial ties to pharmaceutical companies, including Purdue, and advised the FDA against narrowing the indication. An opportunity to rein in overprescribing early in the crisis was lost, and by 2013, enough opioids were prescribed to provide every adult in the country with a full pill bottle fuck that's so fucked it's so up. <laughs> we it's ridiculous how many fucking opiates we flooded in like Ugh. the fact that we have a bigger problem with opiates now than when you could buy morphine at the drugstore mm-hmm. is should say something it says something it does yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. but it says something. It's like it's one thing to to have it like available over the counter, and people discover it and they are able to take it. It's yeah, another some thing of them entirely. Have a problem. Some of them will use some it will as needed. A, exactly. But if, you're, if your but you're doctor says it. you have to take this forever <laughs> yeah. now, this is great for you to take forever, and then oh. you get horribly addicted, and then the doctor says, "Actually, no, we found out it's bad, and you can't take it anymore." And then yeah. you wind up buying fucking heroin. Like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, man. Um. Ugh. Yeah. Now, the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires that adequate and well-controlled studies be conducted before products can be approved as safe and effective. The FDA generally requires two randomized trials demonstrating efficacy for approval. There are a lot of problems with this process, but it was not even followed in the case of oxycodone. They approved oxy for chronic pain based on a two-week clinical trial in osteoarthritis patients. That's all you need, yeah, dude. that should be enough time. Yeah, that, People don't live longer than two weeks, do they? <laughs> it takes me 24 hours to realize whether or not an opiate is good or not. I'll just yeah. tell you that. I just try it out. I'm a human test subject. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. You take it and you're like, yeah, that's good. Give it yeah. to everyone. Give it to, give it to every man, woman, and child <laughs> in the Midwest. Oh, my God. You know what? Empty the swimming public swimming pools. Fill yeah, them with yeah, pills. Yeah. Just fill it with oxys. Extended release. Mm-hmm. We'll just dive into it like a fucking <laughs> junkie Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, for the next 25 years, as the opiate crisis sparked off and then deepened, the FDA continued to approve new opioid formulations for chronic pain via the same shoddy, lackadaisical controls. In 2006, the agency moved to a new methodology for conducting efficacy trials on opiates. This new methodology, Enriched Enrollment Randomized Withdrawal, or EERW, became their primary method of determining evidence of opioid efficacy for chronic pain. EERW trials are not standard double-blind randomized controlled styles. And here's the AMA again. In an EERW trial, prior to randomization for a double-blind phase, all subjects are made physiologically dependent on the opioid in a four- to six-week open-label phase. Then only the patients who tolerated the opioid and found it helpful during the open-label phase are randomized to remain on the opioid or switch to a placebo. Critics of EERW have, cr- have correctly described this methodology as cooking the books for two reasons. First, because only patients who tolerated the opioid and found it helpful are allowed to proceed to randomization, the study is not not representative of the general population, and the results cannot be generalized to clinical practice. Second, because daily use of opioids causes physiological dependence, mm-hmm. efficacy studies are skewed in favor of the subjects who remain on the opioid. This is because opioid-dependent subjects who are switched to placebo experience opiate withdrawal symptoms, including increased sensitivity to pain. Moreover, mm-hmm. switching opioid-dependent subjects to placebo renders the study not double-blind. Boy, all these addicts really like opiates! <laughs> Seems it. like it works! <laughs> you know what? And, and here's how you know it works is when you stop giving it to them yeah. they get fucking weird dude they don't They're like it pain. at all it must mean it's They're helping crying <laughs> it's helping clearly 
You got to take it uh, or else you start, you just start crying and being mm-hmm. in pain, man. That's weird. Yeah. Nine out of 10 alcoholics says it makes them a better driver. <laughs> exactly, man. Oh, I love that. That is like yeah. such a, it's such like an evil thing to do. It's really fucked up, right? It's so evil. Like the, the amount of people who like just got addicted to this thing because they were just like, you know cooking the books on this test too man mm-hmm. fuck it oh but it's i'll tell you rad. i would have loved to have been a part of that study except for i mean the absolutely part where, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i just uh, check it out a little bit yeah. i don't know yeah so the ama journal of ethics article that uh blames the fda's decision to rely on eerw as a consequence of their close some would say incestuous ties to the pharmaceutical industry it turns mm. out that the, that the decision to use eerw had been based on a series of private meetings between fda officials and pharmaceutical executives hosted at a conference called impact with two m's it's an acronym you don't need to know what it's an acronym Who cares? for yeah. <laughs> the drug companies that attended impact each paid $35,000 to meet directly with FDA staff. So they have a big meeting where these guys pay and money goes to the FDA officials who are invited guests. I don't see (laughs) how that's a problem, Robert. I don't see that as a conflict of interest. No, that's totally normal. That's like fucking listen, it's Mm -hmm. it's a donation. Yeah. uh, You know, and if you don't want to donate, you don't get access. Now, when this information dropped, there was a lot of complaints about this as being like, oh, it seems like rank cronyism is why this is the method by which we determine whether or not opiates are good. Despite all this, the FDA continues to rely on EERW for approving opiates. Wow. And as the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they ain't changed that shit. At oh, least not as fuck. of the writing of that article. Yeah. It's cool. It's good shit. So yeah. as the AMA Journal of Ethics details, the cronyism does not stop here. Quote, for example, the two principal FDA reviewers who originally approved Purdue's oxycodone application took both took positions at Purdue after leaving the agency. Hey, that's just a coincidence, hey, though, dude. Over that's the past, just like, <laughs> yeah, that's just a weird coinky dink. Listen, you're emailing all your ex contacts, and you're yeah. just like, hey, do you have like a, a job with a fucking seven figure salary? Sorry. Yeah, and I don't want to like go in, you know, yeah. if that's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you could just, you know, yeah. We could, yeah, I'll write it off on my taxes as hush money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fucking, that's so. <laughs> I'm going to continue that quote. Over the past 20 years, several other FDA staff involved in opioid approvals also left the FDA to work for opioid makers. Last January, the head of the FDA's analgesic division retired from the FDA to start her own consulting business, which promises drug makers help to successfully and efficiently bring your products to market with more than 30 years of experience at the FDA. Oh, (laughs) fuck that. But that's fine. That's legal. You know, it's good. I mean, you know, you get the inside track on how Mm -hmm. to get more people addicted to opiates yeah and obviously this is how the whole government works right but it didn't used to be how the fda works yeah Mm -hmm. and i should note that the revolving door as this article states the revolving door between the fda and the pharmaceutical industry is not just opiates a 2018 study found that 11 of 16 fda medical reviewers involved in approving 28 products now work for the companies whose products they regulated wow my fucking it's good God. stuff right it's fine my, it's it's great i mean it's just it's so blatant this is why like i oh this is every time i come on this podcast man i lose faith in humanity but, but this obviously is, 
some version of this would still be happening if they'd never moved to a fact where like the FDA is half funded by pharmaceutical company applications, right? Corruption. This is how it's endemic, but it, this, I think that really sped up the process. It's had an impact, right? It's very clear to see in the data. Um, and it's now the relationships are, uh, are built on money already. And you have like people, you know, it's one thing to spend 30 years, like being completely fucking government funded and just telling people no, 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 no on their applications and not, you know, fucking have no financial ties to them. But now you have like kind of a sugar daddy that who's going to be courting you. Well, your they've entire always been paying my cur- salary. You know, why shouldn't right. I go to work for that? Right. Well, yeah. Why is this any different? And I know yeah. this guy, I know Roger over at fucking Pfizer. Like, yeah. why wouldn't I work there? Yeah. He's been paying me since fucking day one. Yeah. Yeah. And the FDA's complicity with both the opioid crisis and the Vioxx disaster have the highest definite body counts for sure. Um, mm. But some of the ways that they've really that the FDA is really fucked up are less obviously dead, deadly, but still very mm. unsettling. Now, if you'll remember, the whole reason we have an FDA is because Harvey Wiley was pissed that all kinds of foods and drugs and quack cures were being shoved full of random horrible shit that was not listed in the product and people didn't know what they were getting. Right. That's why we got an FDA is a bunch right. of people. Harvey Wiley and others were like, well, this seems bad. Yeah. No From more days and milk. The main, the primary goal of the FDA was to make sure people know what the fuck they're putting in their bodies, right? Mm. At the end of the day, that's the number one reason we have the FDA, to know what you're putting in your body and what it does to you. Yeah. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams, constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. GRAS is an acronym that stands for Generally Recognized as Safe. This is a category the FDA created for food additives that might be stuck in new products without being specifically approved, but that don't need any specific additional approval because they're generally recognized as safe. Now, this starts again from a pretty reasonable place. It's so that like if you're making a processed meat, you can add vinegar or salt to it. And you don't right. have to like get approval from meat with vinegrants because we know what vinegar and salt do. We know what the yeah, meat does. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. You can stick it in there, right? Yeah. Um, So I'm going to quote from NPR again, quote, over time, companies have found that it's far more efficient to take advantage of the exemption to get their products up on shelves quickly. Some of these products contain additives that the FDA has found to pose dangers and even ingredients. The agency has agreed our our GRAS are now drawing scrutiny from scientists and consumer groups that dispute their safety. Critics of the system say the biggest concern, however, is that companies regularly introduce new additives without ever informing the FDA. This means people are consuming foods with added flavors, preservatives and other ingredients that are not reviewed at all by regulators for immediate dangers or long-term health effects. The vast majority of food additives are safe. Some, however, have proved to cause serious allergic reactions or other long-term health effects. Now, a good example of this would be mycoprotein. This is a kind of fungus product used to add protein to vegetarian foods. It Mm. counts as GRAS, but there's a bunch of lawsuits right now that allege a significant number of people have had really negative um, allergic reactions to mycoprotein, some of them anaphylactic shock, Um, which doesn't mean nobody should take it, but means like it shouldn't be listed as generally recognized as as safe if a lot of people have like allergic reactions to it yeah anaphylaxis is incredibly dangerous yeah and the fda i know i've injected coding (laughs) 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 the fda did eventually revoke its gras status in 2011 but a lot of people had to get sick person it's kind of an example of how like you can just kind of shoehorn this stuff in it's a loophole and it's not watched that closely yeah probably the most serious problem with uh, though is with all the weird preservatives being stuck into foods again most are benign most preservatives are as far as we know benign but gras exemptions mean that we don't really have data on how a lot of the stuff affects children differently or whether or not it builds up in the body and i'm not trying to be like hippy dippy like oh no preservatives in your food man some yeah, of this yeah. stuff's necessary but we should know what it does and we yeah. shouldn't call it safe or put it in everything unless we have really good data that it's safe like right, we're you know going, we're going backwards here we already established yeah. we want to know what's inside yeah, the like, food like wiley i'm not against preservatives or even fucking chemicals in food i eat all sorts of chemicals we should know what they do yeah test <laughs> like, it I th- it's like basic shit. <laughs> yeah um i found a recent study by the environmental defense fund that looked through 877 gras notices by the fda and found that only one of them was for an additive that the manufacturer had done a cumulative effect study on this is like determining whether or not it builds up in the body and could be harmful one out of 877 had 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 this done and this isn't optional these are required by law you have to do this one out of 877 that the FDA had approved had actually done this. As the EDF notes, quote, 
We found no evidence that the agency either recognized this single attempt to follow the law or had objected to the emissions in the 876 other notices. They're just fucking rubber stamping this shit. They don't give a fuck. Yeah, they don't, even, they don't even force them to pinky swear. Mm-hmm. They're just like, nah, again, right. they get money for every one of these applications. Right. You know what? You don't want people to not send in an application if they haven't done the research. You want that fucking bakshish, baby. Jesus. Well, you know, that's uh-huh. uh, it's good. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it, it's it's all really again. This is like anti FDA in that there's huge problems with the FDA, but like we need an FDA. Oh yeah, uh, I don't care what it's called, but we need an agency doing that, right? Like yeah. that's why we started with like thalidomide. This is an absolutely necessary part of any society vaguely similar to the one we live in. Mm-hmm. But we've we've broken it. Uh, we've allowed yeah. it to become broken, and it 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 doesn't work great. And it's anymore. a really dangerous thing to have yeah. as a corrupt organization. Yeah. As <laughs> a corrupt a, and again, there's like, as that, we we quoted from that that FDA researcher who was like, you know, has been howling about Vioxx and stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's, um, there's most, I'm sure most of the people trying to do those jobs are, are fucking rad. And even mm-hmm. I'm sure most of the people who wind up joining the pharmaceutical industry, they're not thinking like, ha ha ha, I'm going to yeah, like, right. yeah. no, but it's like they should, there should be a bias towards distrust and dislike of the pharmaceutical companies right. by the scientists doing this, right? Like they yeah. should be untrustworthy of them, you know? Right. I expect the pharmaceutical companies to lie about shit. That's what they yeah. do. They're salesmen. You know, they're like, we, they make, they fucking patent just random compounds they're like does that do anything no it's like basically just trying out a bunch of things to see if it makes your dick hard and then eventually they'll just be like yeah that makes your dick hard you need an agency that takes the medication and goes like my dick is still soft yeah you can't just pay someone to be like yeah i don't know enough people's dicks got hard you gotta know that it gets you bricked up robert yeah, it, it's you got you you got to know that it allows you to fucking lay some goddamn pipe. Lay you know? some pipe, dude. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's what Amer- when America was great, we knew that was yeah. what the the FDA was for. Now, mm-hmm. yeah, mm. you're goddamn right. Um, so I don't know. You know, I. I would like to have an FDA that uh, does not have the problems of our current FDA. I don't think that's too much to ask of society. There's a lot of, a lot of our problems are kind of intractable and difficult to figure out a solution to, but like, yeah, we should probably have like, they should probably be advocates for us and not a totally wing of the pharmaceutical industry. (laughs) I mean, honestly, it's like weird for us to be going backwards on such like a, obvious fucking thing it's uh we don't want to drink the poison milk and uh we don't want uh people pushing a bunch of fucking drugs that don't work or fuck up your life yeah (laughs) those would be it it, you just it's a low bar dude go back to the the francis hagen days she was dope let's let's hire a bunch of people like her and give them all very large salaries to yeah. be distrustful of the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> That's like their job. That's the whole job. <laughs> and we spend so much money on stupid shit. We could have a ve- we could have a sufficiently sized team of people to 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 distrust the pharmaceutical industry professionally yeah. for the price of a couple of F thirty fives. Yeah, right. Literally two less fucking you know just jets that that bomb Yemen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, just- and we we take money away from them. When 
when they let a drug through that kills way more people than yeah. is reasonable yep. as like you know some side effects and, and yeah, tie the f- is then we're bribing them to make sure we don't die exactly that's literally how it's supposed to work yeah i mean it just yeah they we should be you know we should be making money off of uh or the fda should be making money off of destroying these pharmaceutical agencies as soon as they fuck up that's mm-hmm. what i say yeah that would be sick that's one way to tie it tie it in but wow well, oxy sucks man <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. fuck it well matt do you, do you ready do you have any pluggables for us um yeah uh try uh, no i'm just kidding uh, <laughs> uh pod yourself a gun uh, the world's only Sopranos podcast and the film drunk fraud cast, me and Vince Mancini talking about movies, talking about just life in general. Matt Leap jokes on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I love you guys. Aw. Well, yeah. you can find me nowhere, but I have a novel that you can pre-order. You and if you pre-order it, you'll get a signed copy. Just Google AK Press after the revolution. Order a book now. It'll come to you with my signature in it. That's pretty neat. Um, we also have a live show. We do on February 17th. The ticket info will be in the episode description or you can go to allegedly. I'll do it. Allegedly in the episode uh, uh, description. Momenthouse.com slash pond the bastards. Mm-hmm. Allegedly. Allegedly. All right. Well, until next time, you know, skim the cream off some milk, fill it up with water, pour some worms in there, and, yeah, you know, a have yourself a nice brain. breakfast. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of cow brains, get some extra protein up in there, you know, mm. you're good to go. You're Double to brains go. helps mm-hmm. you think. That's right. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Bring it Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. 
Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now.